Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We remember Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. My approach, I believe, is neither liberal nor conservative. Candles, flowers, and handcrafted signs surround the United States Supreme Court in memory of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who died Friday. It just kind of crushed me. Ruth Bader Ginsburg lived a life defying expectations. This tiny, determined jurist who was, who was standing up for the principles of equal rights, voting rights, reproductive rights, and that just exploded on the Internet. The court does not comprehend or is indifferent to the insidious way in which women can be victims of pay discrimination. Strength, focus, determination. The Notorious RBG. Rest in power. Black woman, beautiful, powerful, resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation, a talk, especially an informal one between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So... We created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Janine. How has your week been? Ooh, it's been rough. I feel like I have been running around like a chicken with my head cut off. And, you know, I went to the wedding last week and I felt like I had COVID <laughs> all week long. I felt like, oh my God, is that a sniffle? Yeah, I was real paranoid all week long. So against my better judgment, but with your better judgment, and I'm trying to do better with taking the advice of the people that went to school for these things, i.e. my friend Nicole, I got a flu shot this week. What? And... Ma'am, I woke up with the sniffles. The first thing I thought was, damn it, Nicole, I cannot believe I let you convince me to get this flu shot. But I knew you were going to say that. It's okay because you and my doctor have agreed that a flu shot is best for me. So I'm going to trust you all's opinion. And I trust the best. that the little sniffles will go away. This will be the first flu shot I've ever gotten in my 37 years of life. So we oh will God. see how this goes. I'm so proud of you for getting a flu shot because guess what? <laughs> if you get COVID and the flu, oh, it might take you out. If you don't like vaccines, get a vaccine this year. You don't want COVID and the flu at the same time. We don't know what that does. We have no idea how to treat that. Let's not experiment on you. So it's good that you got a flu shot. 
But guess what else I got? And this is a little out of character for me, so I'm going to show it to you. I will post this also on our social media. I got nails that represent uh, the colors of our podcast because I couldn't decide (laughs) (laughs) what I wanted it to look like. So I was like, hmm, why don't I just paint them the color of our podcast? So now I have fun nails. I don't know how long this is going to last because, Nicole, you know that I'm a big proponent of having neutral nails just in case there's a surprise job interview. And while that sounds crazy, we still live in a time where neutral nails just go over better, right? So I'm a big fan of neutral nails. But hey, I'm stuck inside. It's COVID. I'm not going for any job interviews. If I do go for a job interview, I can do it just like I'm talking to you. No one has to see what color nail polish I have on. So I was like, hey, why not? I'll have fun. And now I got podcast nails. Look at you. Well, I love them. (laughs) I got color. And you know, I usually don't wear color. Let me see. We're not supposed to wear color at work. Yes. (laughs) My signature white. I went back to white. Um, Because I like white. I feel like white goes with everything. And since we can't wear white after Labor Day, isn't that what? That's what people said on the That's what they told us. Social media. No white after Labor Day. That's still a thing. Um, So I decided to go with white nails. Make it pop against black. I am so here for that. And here's the thing. Break the rules. It's 2020. Every other rule has been broken. So I am sure that they will email us and tell us about how we are disrespecting the fashion gods or whatever. But we'll be fine. I'm making my own rules. I won't wear white shoes. So white shoes I will not wear. I'm a southern girl. My toes will pop with white polish. I'm so here for it. So what's on your timeline? On Friday, we lost Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Joan Ruth Bader was born in Brooklyn, New York, to Celia and Nathan Bader on March 15th, 1933. Her mother, Celia, was extremely, extremely involved in her daughter's education, mainly because she was super smart herself and graduated high school when she was 15. But unfortunately, at that time, her family could only afford to send one of the siblings to college. So they sent her brother to college as opposed to sending her to college. Ruth attended James Madison High School, where she graduated the top of her class. Unfortunately, she was unable to give her valedictorian speech because the day before her high school graduation, her mother died of cancer. Bader attended Cornell, where she met her future husband, Martin Ginsburg, at the age of 17. She graduated from Cornell with a bachelor's in government at the age of 22, and she was the highest ranking female student in her class. A month after graduation from Cornell, Ginsburg married Martin Ginsburg and moved to Oklahoma where Ginsburg, the husband, would be stationed. Bader Ginsburg worked for the Social Security Administration while she was in Oklahoma, but she got demoted when they found out that she was pregnant. In 1956, Ginsburg enrolled into Harvard Law where she was one of only nine women in a class of about 500 men. It's said that the dean of Harvard at the time invited all of the female law students to dinner at his home and asked them why they felt like it was okay for them to take the place of a man at Harvard Law. When her husband took a job in New York City, Justice Ginsburg had to transfer to Columbia, making her the first woman to be a part of two major law reviews. In 1959, She earned her law degree from Columbia, and she was tied for first in her class. When she graduated, she had trouble finding work. In 1960, Supreme Court Justice Felix Frankfurter rejected Ginsburg for his clerkship because she was a woman. 
She eventually got a job as a law clerk for the U.S. District Court of Southern District of New York after her law professor threatened to never recommend another Columbia student again. And then also he had to make a promise that if she did not work out, they would find a male student to replace her. So in her early career, her first position was at Rutgers Law in 1963, where she was told that she was going to get paid less than her male counterparts because her husband, quote unquote, made good money. She was one of few female law professors in the United States at the time, and she was at Rutgers from 1963 to 1972. But she did not actually receive tenure until 1969. In 1970, she co-founded the Women's Rights Law Report, which was the first law journal that focused specifically on women's rights. From 1972 to 1980, she taught at Columbia Law, making her the first tenured woman to teach at Columbia Law. She also co-authored the first casebook on sex discrimination. In 1972, Ginsburg co-founded the Women's Rights Project at the ACLU. She argued six gender discrimination cases before the Supreme Court between 1973 and 1976, and of those, she won five. Justice Ginsburg was very strategic with her pursuit to end gender discrimination. She carefully selected the plaintiffs, even sometimes selecting male plaintiffs, so that she could demonstrate that gender discrimination was not just harmful to women, but it was harmful to everyone. Um, She was known for carefully selecting her words, and she even stopped using the words sex discrimination and changed specifically to gender discrimination at the suggestion of her secretary at the time, saying that the word sex was distracting to her male counterparts, which is, it sounds ridiculous, but it was actually true. So some of the some of the cases that she took on Mortiz v. Commissioner um, and it was a man that was denied caregiver benefits because caregiver benefits were only given to women at the time. Weinberger v. Weisenfeld was actually a case of a widower who was denied Social Security benefits because at the time Social Security benefits were only given to women when their husbands passed away because it was thought the husband was the main breadwinner. In this particular case the husband wanted to stay home with his child, his young child, since his wife passed away and was denied benefits. Her last case as an attorney that she went before the Supreme Court with was in 1978, and it was Dern versus Missouri, where she argued that jury duty should not be voluntary for women, arguing that it's a vital government service and it should not be optional. While it sounds like it was, quote unquote, anti-women's rights, it was making the playing field even for both men and women. Um, Ginsburg continued to work for the ACLU until her appointment to the federal bench. In 1980, President Jimmy Carter nominated Ginsburg to the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit Court, and she was confirmed. In 1993, President Clinton nominated Ginsburg as an associate justice of the Supreme Court, and she was confirmed 96 to 3. Her appointment made her only the second woman to ever become a Supreme Court justice. Now think about how long our country has been in existence. And in 1993, she was only the second woman to be appointed to the Supreme Court. She's known for gender discrimination cases um, like U.S. versus Virginia. Um, That was when the Virginia Military Institute, which is a public institution, um, they basically had to defend, which they were not able to, their emissions policy, which they basically, their emissions policy said that they only accepted 
males. And they uh, the case found that that was a violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Most everyone knows her for the Ledbetter versus Goodyear case, um, which actually they didn't win, right? It was a lawsuit for Lily Ledbetter against Goodyear, which was her employer at the time. They filed a lawsuit because she found out that she was paid significantly less than her male counterparts. And they actually did not win because of statute of limitations. They said that they that she only had 180 days from the time that she received her paycheck to make a complaint. However, because of this case, in 2008, the Lilly Ledbetter, under our president, President Obama, the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act became law. We also know her from um, her stance on abortion. Basically, Justice Ginsburg's stance on abortion was, as she put it, the basic thing is that the government has no business making choices for women. She felt like Roe v. Wade was just the beginning, as she said. In 1999, Ginsburg was diagnosed with colon cancer, which would be the first of five bouts of cancer. She would later be diagnosed and treated for pancreatic and lung cancer. She was treated and deemed cancer-free. However, in May 2020, Justice Ginsburg began receiving treatments again for her cancer as it had returned. Ginsburg spent her career advocating for equality. She was an iconic justice and a pop culture icon. She was given the name Notorious RBG by a law student, which was a nod to rapper Notorious B.I.G., who they were both from Brooklyn. Days before her death, Justice Ginsburg told her granddaughter, my most fervent wish is that I will not be replaced until a new president is installed. She has done such amazing work for our country and for women's rights. Um, Hopefully, Justice Ginsburg is honored um, from the top down. Um, And honoring her will be obviously honoring her wishes. Um, And I don't think that people understand the gravity of her death, right? Like, I I don't think that people get it. Um, And listening to you talk about her... um, one made me think that why don't they just hand out books at the funeral of her uh, biography? Because I don't think anybody could do it justice. Like there's so much that she's done um, that, you know, even listening to you, Janine, you were like, I don't want to stop yet because this is not the good part yet. Right. There's so much stuff I have to say already. So I just feel like they should probably just hand out biographies <laughs> of her life at the funeral for her obituary. But one thing that did stand out is as you were speaking and as she was so strategic, why do we always have to be a thousand times better? Right? Like why are women, why do we have to be like a thousand times better? Like she wasn't just like, Oh, uh, I'm on law review and I'm a professor. No, like I am a professor and I've been full professor for all these years before I get tenure. And I've won all of these cases before I get recognized. And I'm going to be a boss, so much of a boss, that somebody's going to recognize me at the federal level. Like, I can't just go home and raise my kids. Like, I'm going to be so prominent that Jimmy Carter is going to then appoint me to the federal level, which I love Jimmy Carter. He should have gotten two terms, but I'm not going to go there today. (laughs) And then Bill Clinton finally got some sense. But we all know that Hillary Clinton has been president before. Correct. Hillary Clinton was president. Okay. And so she uh, was a boss enough to recognize, hey, Ginsburg should be the Supreme Court justice appointee. 
um, and uh, Bill was smart enough to listen to her. So that is amazing. Um, but even as we converse and even the things that we know, I still think that we needed a little bit more knowledge on the podcast today. We have two special guests with us today. I called a friend who's amazing, who also called a friend who is extra amazing as well. And we have them on the podcast this morning. So um, I would like to introduce attorney Sasha Fowler. Yes, she is a fellow Xavier Wright. She was also Miss Xavier. She crowned me. She was Miss Xavier the year before I was Miss Xavier University of Louisiana. And now she is all grown up. And she is a contracting officer for the Air Force and also practices independent law, focused on personal injury, wills and estate oversight, and business law. And she brought a friend with her, attorney Lindsay Canali, a finance counsel for Oklahoma Department of Human Services. Together, they were co-organizers for March on Oklahoma, um, which is Oklahoma's Women's March, and served on the National Board for the Women's March. Welcome to the podcast, ladies. Thank you, ladies, for having me today. This is such an honor. Uh, just definitely appreciate you inviting me, Nicole, um, even though it was last minute. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole was like, uh, you want to be on the podcast? I was like, okay, yeah, girl, when is it? She's like, uh, tomorrow, 8 a.m. I said, girl, why did I call Nicole this morning? That's what I said to myself. <laughs> I said, it could have waited. It could have waited. <laughs> Note to self, don't call Nicole unless you want to be put on the spot. But it's That's all right. good. I'm here. That's I'm right. here for it. You know, we step into the challenges, women. That's what we do. But uh, to answer your question, as you stated, I practice law on the side currently um, in a, uh, I guess, a side side gig. People are like, who practices law on the side? I said me. So, uh, but prior to uh, becoming the contracting officer for the uh, United States Air Force, Lindsay and I actually worked at which is a Fortune 500 company together in their litigation department. But uh, the impact of the death of Justice Ginsburg is definitely um, – felt in the legal community because she did so much. She was such a beast in her own right. And one thing you did not mention in her, your book report was that um, when her husband got sick in law school, they were in law school together, as you did mention, he got he had cancer, of course, but in order to make sure that he did not fall or slip in his schoolwork, she not only organized his friends to help him, she would type up their notes for him, read his cases to him for his class, do her work, and take care of her two-year-old baby. I'm like, what did this woman not do? Like, who can do all of that? And, of, of course, we know that she was actually um, uh, writing the sense up pretty much until her death. And did not retire because she still knew that she had something to give to her country and wanted to be true to herself, which has also been controversial on why she might not have um, retired under, our, like you said, our forever president. Uh, needless to say, this has greatly been felt in the legal community and will greatly be felt without uh, through America in the event we don't pick uh, the proper replacement. Because as Janine stated, this will significantly shift the um, court to a 6-3 conservative uh, bench, which um, could be felt for 20, 30 years. Who knows? But I'll, let, I'll get off my soapbox and let Lindsay uh, chime in. Thank you, ladies. Uh, this is a, a joy and a pleasure to be a part of, and I'm so appreciative of it. Um, I am Lindsay Canale. I am a finance counsel for Department of Human Services. I've done family law, criminal law, um, oil and gas litigation, and now I do mostly contract law uh, for the Department of Human Services. And it's a joy to work for 
this department because you can really feel and see the impact that it has um, with our citizens of Oklahoma. So it's it's an honor and a pleasure. The impact of her death is going to be felt for decades to come, um, no matter how she's replaced. If she's replaced with a liberal judge or a conservative judge, um, the impact is going to be felt. It's a deep, severe loss. I mean, I cried so hard Friday. <laughs> She's been a hero of mine for ever since I was an undergrad. One case that you did not mention, which is my favorite case of hers, and it's Greg V. Boren. It was a case out of Oklahoma. It's actually what got, what raised the standard of review um, for gender-based discrimination cases. And it was a, a law in the books in Oklahoma that women under the age of 21 could purchase 3.2% beer in alcohol stores. Well, men couldn't. You had to be over 21. So Ruth, being the strategic genius that she is, got whiff of this case and said, huh, this is a good case to talk about gender-based discrimination. Just so happens it was on the opposite side, showing how gender-based discrimination affects men. And it took it all the way to the Supreme Court, argued, and she won the case. And that raised the level of scrutiny for any gender-based discrimination cases to intermediate scrutiny. Intermediate scrutiny um, really is when the state has to prove the existence of a specific important governmental objective and that the law must be substantially related to achieving those objectives. So it took it from just, oh, well, does it kind of make sense? Is it rational? To now we have a higher level that the government has to meet if they're going to have a gender-based law. It's it's a hard loss. Um, it's very unnerving and I'm honestly terrified of what's going to happen. But you know what I was just thinking I said I bet you those men feel like a heel right now. She did all this great stuff the ones who didn't want to hire her and then they probably want to come back and say you know you know want to be friends buddy buddy like no nah, player you didn't want you didn't want this greatness step on back <laughs> and let me do my thing but why does it have to be like that because I find like I find that that still is um, present in today's society that uh, not only do we have to be better than, and she even, in one of the documentaries, she said that when she was called on in law school, she felt like she had to be overly prepared because they were looking for her to mess up. They were looking mm -hmm. for her to slip up and not, you know, be on point. And she was, of course. But why should she have to feel that she has to do all the more? And even I feel as though as black women in the workplace, we always feel like we need to, of course, be overly prepared uh, come with the most innovative ideas, volunteer for the work, uh, just because we need to prove ourselves, especially especially when we are in circles where we're the only one um, uh, against our counterparts. So it just still happens to this day. It's definitely not um, something that is far from the truth of today's society. How are we still here? It is 2020, right? We've been fighting for everyone's equal rights for so long, and yet we are still in a situation where we have to jump higher and we have to go further. Like, when are we going to realize that women can do everything that men can do and black women can do everything that white men can do? 
when black women are in charge of everything. <laughs> everything. So um, let's talk through some scenarios that have affected black women. You know, obviously it'll be conversational, but we want your professional uh, opinions. Lindsay, as an ally, we are glad to have you. We want your opinion as well. So this story is not unique, but it's problematic nonetheless. Let's call this person Marie for privacy. So Marie is a 42-year-old black woman who works for a Fortune 500 company in the marketing department. She's been with the company for 12 years and now makes $74,000 a year. She has helped the company land major partnerships uh, for which she has been promoted, quote unquote promoted. However, her pay doesn't reflect these so-called promotions. Her starting salary was $69,000 12 years ago. She was previously making $79,000 but recently took a cut. She thinks the cut was due to the pandemic but feels unsure due to the timing. So her boss made a pass on her at a company New Year's party and threatened to fire her after his advances were turned down. She didn't report it because she, quote, needed her job, end quote. In March, her pay was cut, and she was told it was due to the pandemic. She found out from one of her Caucasian coworkers, who's also a woman, they were having casual conversation. She found out that this coworker made 96000 and didn't take a pay cut, and had only been with the company for eight years. What are your thoughts on that, and what should she do? That scenario is, as far as what should she do, um, and I'm just going to come from a black woman's perspective, it's hard, because I'm assuming, I don't know if you uh, mentioned this, but I'm assuming she's in a male-dominated, maybe primarily white working environment. There's so many things you have to think about when going to your superior's still needing your job, especially in this uh, COVID-19 environment. She still needs her job, one. Two, is there any other backlash that can come from all of this? You already mentioned her boss was uh, acting crazy at the <laughs> at the party, threatening firing. Of course, she can always make a grievance, but so, although they say those things are anonymous, sometimes those things sneak out. It never is really anonymous. So it, she has to come to grips within herself. Does she want to fight this thing and see if um, there is a legal action that needs to take place? Knowing good and well, she might be losing her job. Or does she say, okay, let me write it out. Let me just be hush, hush, girl, and not say anything because I need this job. And I think too often women fall in the latter half of that. I need my job. I need to support my family. I can't have the luxury to go before my boss or management to really speak my truth for fear of not getting what I need in backlash. And as far as her white counterpart, it's just like, why are these things hidden? I, uh, of course, we naturally don't talk about salary. It shouldn't take uh, a hidden conversation to bring up these inequalities within the workplace, but it happens. And um, it's, it, this is a, definitely a tough situation or a tough um, decision that she's going to have to make because um, it can it, it can go either way. It can go good or it can go extremely bad. She has to be ready for the consequences of both. Yeah, I will echo and piggyback on Sasha there. One of the first things I would say she needs to do is contact an attorney in her state and talk with them, see the best road uh, to go down. The really great thing... Well, the Lily Ledbetter Act that you mentioned protects us in the way that it allow it took away that 180-day rule. And so you have unlimited sort of time, not unlimited, but you have no more of a, you can go longer than 180 days 
to file a lawsuit or discrimination um, suit against your employer if you find out that years into um, your job, you're having a pay discrepancy um, for the same work that your counterpart is doing as well. The only part, um, really what was missing out of that act is the lack of pay transparency in mm -hmm. companies. So it would have been a whole lot easier if you could just say, hey, HR, tell me if I'm on the same level as my counterparts. <laughs> um, unfortunately, that's not the case. So you've got to, you know, sneak behind the scenes and figure out who's getting paid what. And a lot of companies, um, especially Fortune 500 companies, what they do is they tell it's a violation of HR policies if you talk about your pay with your coworkers. Mm -hmm. um, so that prevents people and people, you know, are fearful of that because, hey, if I talk about my pay, I could get fired. Um, so people don't. The best course of action is to contact an attorney, say, hey, this is what I, I know so far. Um, and then that attorney can then either choose to, in conference with her, could choose to file a discovery um, suit with the employer um, to give those records over so that she can see who is getting paid what and if there is broad discrimination across the board. It's one thing if you have one person who's getting paid more than you that you're doing the same work with, that's not going to be enough to establish discrimination. It's she's going to have to show there's five, there's 10, there's 20 people. And through the history, people are starting out at this salary and they brought me in down here. Best case, contact an attorney and try to figure out what the best route to go is because it is a still a scary time where you still can get fired for finding that out. Um, but if you do contact an attorney, there are protections in place where your employer cannot retaliate against you for trying to find out. So there are protections in place. You just got to make sure that you have the right legal counsel that's walking you through those steps. While Lindsay was talking, I'm playing this scenario out of my head. So uh, just knowing how companies are, uh, especially Fortune 500 companies and at will states where you can be, you know, fired pretty much for, I'm not sure where this, uh, this person lives, but of course they're going to figure out something else that's performance based and right. know, I have my air, qu air quotes, performance based to where they can find justification to why she's being paid less or why uh, they might have to fire her. Uh, COVID-19 is here. We are having to downgrade the workforce to uh, cover it up, but proper counsel, hopefully those things uh, would be unveiled as well. But it's definitely a road that she's going to have to um, figure out if she wants to take because this, it's an uphill battle, unfortunately. Who's going to be affected is her. Of course, you want to do things for the greater good, but the environment right now, bills don't stop, and she has to figure out what she's going to need to do for herself. Just going through it in my head and listening to Lindsay talk about getting an attorney, and I'm just thinking, what would I do in this situation? And then I was thinking, I don't know how much I make compared to anybody else that works with me. I have no idea. I think I make something comparable. They say that they start everybody off around the same amount. They say it depends on 
how long you've been there. And they say that, oh, yes, we start everybody with the same amount. But once your contract renews in a couple years, please ask us for a raise. And, you know, people say those kind of things, but you don't really know if they're telling you the truth. Even when you go through the numbers annually, or at least when I do as a physician, things don't necessarily add up the way you think they should add up in your head. And going through this, I'm thinking, as a black woman working for a Fortune 500 company, would I be a person that would hire an attorney that is, one, not going to get paid off, two, powerful enough to go against this mega company who probably has a whole legal department, and what is going to be the outcome? Am I going to not have a job for a couple years while this thing is playing out in court? And if I don't, what's going to happen? Like, if I have a family... If my household is dependent on my income or if I'm in a, even if I'm married, if if my income is not just supplemental and play money, what's going to happen to my family? Is my family going to suffer? Am I not going to be able to put my kid in private school? I mean, it's a lot to think about. And I think that as black people, we are definitely more reluctant to seek legal advice than our Caucasian counterparts. Because what I would do in this situation is probably say, huh? You're making how much? 96000 And I know I brought all this stuff to the table. I'm starting to look for another job. And then I may go and sue you, but I'm not going to sue you while I'm still working for you. We have a saying in the industry that um, we don't, we're not going to sue until we're ready to be out of the industry, right? Because subsequently what happens is, is that, yes, you sue, you look for another job, but then you get deemed the problem or you get deemed the litigious one. And so people right. start mar- marking you as a target to be watched, right? As opposed to just the fact that you just want to be paid equally. So what do you do? You kind of just like find out the information and look for another job. Now, I would still go back and sue. Like, I'm not that person that's going to that's gonna roll over. Like, I'm uh, I'm going to make some noise, but I'm not going to make any noise until after I'm settled. Like, I have to, because for me, that is now my next goal. Like, if she's getting $96,000, i am going to go look for a job that pays 100000 because I know I'm doing my job better than she's doing her job, and I have more experience. I have 12 years versus your eight years of experience. I have four more years worth of experience, so I can justify $100,000 at another Fortune 500 company, and somebody probably will pay me that money. So I'm going to go get another job. Then I'm going to go and make a stink. That stink may not be to sue you, but I'm going to put you on blast some kind of way. It's going to come back. So that's me. That's me. That's 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 my opinion. That's what I would do. I'm not a legal expert. Probably that has some backlash. Our attorneys are looking at me like, mm, I don't know. Well, Nicole, like, that sounds good, Nicole. I was that about to say, good. I've had our I'm over here like, yes, yes. <laughs> but here's the thing, though. My question to you all is I've had legal counsel for my company, right? The company that I worked for at the time. Ask me, did I feel like it was worth it to put my job in jeopardy over something that they felt or deemed was minor? At the time, I mean, you're sitting in a room, you know, with legal counsel and it's already a little bit intimidating and you're kind of like, so I have to choose between my career and equality? Like, how is that the choice? But again, when you're a fledgling in your career and you're like, I'm just trying to, you know, climb the ladder... What do you do? And where are your resources? Because 
I mean, a lot of companies don't have a local HR anymore. A lot of companies have a, a number that you call and you are, you know, transferred to some service that is a, you know, a global human resource service. And then all it does is then trickle back down to your local office. And now all of a sudden it's just a hostile work environment, right? And not hostile because anyone's angry, so to speak, but hostile because you're uncomfortable and you know that what was supposed to be, as you, as you all referenced earlier, what was supposed to be confidential is suddenly not confidential at all. It's just public knowledge. And then you realize that people are looking at you crazy, speculating what's happening with the case and everyone has their opinion, but no one ever really wants to speak up, even if they've been through it before. And you can get other um, women coworkers who are mad because now you're ruffling feathers and you're making their job harder. And why did you have to go and make a big stink over it? Like, we get paid decent. Can't you just be happy with that? No, no, absolutely not. It's not fair. And unfortunately, we live in a United States that puts business interests over the employees' interests. And until we can change that and shift that dynamic and put more power into the employees' hands, like being able to form unions. Uh, you know, we live in a state, Sasha and I live in a state where unions are very discouraged. It's very hard to form a union in Oklahoma. Oklahoma's a right to um, at will work state. So you could get fired for any reason here in Oklahoma. So it's especially, you know, all that compounding barriers to getting things on a even playing field. You know, you've got to deal with misogyny. You've got to deal with racism. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to be a white woman navigating this stuff, but it's another thing to be a black woman navigating it because you've got additional barriers that I don't have. And it complicates things, and it's not fair. It's extremely unfair. Unfortunately, we just don't have a lot. Still, to this day, in 2020, it's not that much different than the 1970s. We just have a little bit extra, like, appeasement from lawmakers versus actual teeth. They give you what they think you deserve in order for you to be quiet. They're like, okay, we're going to give you this. Not necessarily what you requested, not necessarily what is fair or equal, but look, we're going to give you this. I need you to be quiet. Shut up. Thank you. Go on about your day. What is it going to take to, like Lindsay said, get teeth? I'm not sure. And I don't know if a new justice on the Supreme Court is going to do it. Uh, definitely. I think it takes companies one by one implementing real change uh, instead of just having diversity and inclusion trainings, instead of just having a virtual training that you can do for you know, bias or unbiased is going to take top level management for companies, small businesses and up to really say, okay, how can we be intentional on supporting equality across the board, whether it's in pay, whether it's in how we treat our diverse uh, employees and giving them the same workload as their counterparts to sh let them shine. There's just different layers that uh, is going to have to take place before there's any type of a uh, through equality and I think it's going to have to start business by business. More Oh That's Deep Black Women Conversations right after this. 
Move, the first podcast magazine for women. Each week, join your host, Nikki Woods, for a journey of all things important to women. Finances. David, tell me about the four financial languages and, and how we figure out which language we speak. I learned that there were four dominant financial languages. They're saving, spending, investing, and giving. And even though we may be fiscally bilingual and we speak different languages, we usually have a dominant financial language. You know, For example, my dominant financial language is spending. And I tell people, don't judge me. That's just who I am. Relationships. I had about eight first dates and I tanked every single one of them. So I had to learn the hard way. And as I was learning about it, I was writing about it. And then I started the book and then I started the website and then all the other things followed. Entertainment. So the biggest story since last Friday has been Cardi B and, and Megan Thee Stallion because they dropped their WAP single. Do you have any thoughts on it? I have no thoughts on it whatsoever. <laughs> Food travel, and family. Nikki takes you through them all in a fast, fun, entertaining way. Welcome to Move, a podcast magazine for women. We are here for women busy with work, kids, a business, whatever keeps you moving, and we are going to keep you informed. Move, the podcast magazine for women, is available on Apple Podcasts. Join the movement. Download and subscribe today to Move, the podcast magazine for women. share a uh, experience that Lindsay and I um, share together working at a fortune 500 company um, regarding pay it's funny that you mentioned um, this story Nicole because it's so similar to ours um, Lindsay and I both worked in the litigation department for a fortune 500 company and uh, we were of course doing what we do because we've been friends but we've known each other Lindsay and I have known each other since middle school but we really start becoming friends in high school so we've known each other 20 plus years easily and so of course we we discussed salary and um we found out we were pretty much comparable she and I I'm, I might have made a little bit more but that's because I had been with the company longer than she had um and we came from different departments uh, into the litigation department but we had a friend who was a, a a white guy who was our counterpart and we would have candid conversations with him all the time and uh the topic of salary came up and we found out that he uh made i, I don't know if it was, i think it was about five to ten thousand dollars more than we did starting and we were like eh, wait a minute wait a daggone minute mm-hmm. and so we were wondering what everyone else uh, what the other guys are making but of course we couldn't go ask him so he did and came back with the same information that we were getting paid substantially less than they were and I was like, oh, well, I'd be that gone. So me and Lindsay started the talking. The men who said, came on after us. Yes. Also started yes. after us. Yes. Started at higher salaries. I forgot about that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we and and we had and we had we had already been with the company and knew legal lingo, knew how the company worked, and they came in from the street, just fresh. Like let's let's start. Okay. So. Me and Lindsay were like, okay, how are we going to tackle this? What are we going to do? And so I was like, girl, I'm scared. I'm, I don't know if I, <laughs> I had just kind of started in the litigation department. So I was like, I don't know what I'm, I don't want to say anything or I want to say anything, but I don't know how to say anything. I said, you should say it. And so I, we, we came to the conclusion that Lindsay, and it's pretty much because she's white. I had already had issues with the company uh, saying some crazy stuff to me before. And, uh, and I'll just say, I'll just give you the scenario. One, one time, one, uh, one of the assistants was like, leave the help alone. I'm a full-fledged attorney, and I was called the help at work. Yeah, Ooh. in my office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. 
And and the lady was like, oh, I didn't know. She was, you know, older white lady. She was like, you know, I, I didn't mean any harm. That was a whole nother situation that we could talk about on a different discussion, different podcast. I had to sit there for a second. I was like, did they say that? And my, my white friend, uh, the guy, he, he turned red. He was like, I am so sorry. You have to experience that. That We had some discussions about that one with, you know, on a different occasion. But back to the real story. Uh, Lizzie and I came to the conclusion that she should say something because she's white and the backlash would not be as great if she were to bring the topic up with our management versus me. I I jumped in. I I went to our boss at the time, who was worthless. He basically gave me the whole runaround of, well, they came, the co-workers, the men um, who were paid, I think it was around 8000 more than us starting out in that department. I got told, well, it was because they came from the land department and were landmen beforehand so their salary didn't jump as far as ours did coming from a different division they moved over got maybe a two or three thousand dollar bump um in pay whereas Sasha and i came from a different division and when we moved over we had about a five to ten thousand dollar jump and i said that's not an excuse <laughs> that's not an acceptable excuse just because they came from a different department making more, that just means that your baseline for us should have been the same line. Doesn't mean, oh, well, you got, you know, it's the whole, we're going to appease you because it looks like we got a big pay jump going from one division over into this new division. Whereas really we were still being robbed of our equal pay for the work that we were doing. We were all doing the exact same job, exact same job. I was told, well, you know, the company is going to go under some reorganization and we've engaged marketing um, teams that are going to come in and do a full-blown salary review and make sure that we're at the same level and blah, blah, blah. So just be patient. We'll get you there. It just may have to be in increments. The company did start going through reorganization. I think we did have kind of a pay jump that bumped us up a little bit closer to them. Not still not at the same level, bumped us up closer. And then the company went through massive layoffs round after round. And eventually Shasha got laid off. I got laid off about a year or two after her and no longer worked there, but it, it was never fully resolved. So when I did go to my manager um, to talk, I did not give him names of anybody that I had spoke to, did not give him even Seisha's name, did not say that I know Seisha makes the same amount of money because I didn't want to jeopardize anybody else's job um, because we worked for a company where HR had a policy, you can't discuss your salary. Um, so how I talked about it was that in the process of what we do or what we did for the company, I was reviewing documents and part of those documents, I was reviewing an HR case. Well, it had a, a document in there of the pay scales of everybody. I said, that's how I found out. I, you know, it, it, it is scary and I can navigate that whole scenario a lot easier than Seisha could have. You know, that's not a situation that should be the case, but facts are facts. And that that is how it worked out. And I didn't want to do anything that was going to 
caused Sasha to lose her job. I didn't want to be responsible for anybody losing their job. But Lindsay, you recognized that you did not feel threatened that you were going to lose your job. I was scared, but it was also, I was so pissed off and I was so tired of being taken advantage of and, and not being treated fairly. I mean, we were paid significantly less than other attorneys in the department just because we were new. So, I mean, there was just so much layer upon layer of discrepancies there, but. What we didn't highlight is that at this Fortune 500 company, I was the first black attorney that they had ever hired. And I was the only one in the whole department, the whole litigation. This is a Fortune 500 company. And what year was this? 2011, 12? 2012. Mm-hmm. So in 2012, you were the first black attorney that they've ever hired? Yeah, and Still only, and I was the only probably to this day. Still um, to this day, there's not another black attorney in that litigation department. Black guy even. I don't think there's, there's no, I was, yeah. I've been the sole black hire in the legal department for this Fortune wow. 500 company. And we had a litigation department of at least, what would you say, at least 30 attorneys? Mm-hmm. Uh, if not more. And so I, of course, was thinking, I, I don't want to mess this up for those to come from behind me because I don't want, I didn't want them to say, we took a, a risk on this black attorney and they come up here talking crazy, making issues. I wanted to try to keep the trend going. So when Lindsay and I were talking, I said, you know, I don't think that I can hold the mantle up for the potential black backlash or blacklash shall we say mm-hmm. that could come from 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 me saying something because i was scared i was like i, I don't want to say anything just because the re- ramifications would be too great and this industry people talk people i mean mm-hmm. it's an industry to where it's not going to be that easy to go to your the other fi- fortune 500 company or even the small businesses it's like okay that's the troublemaker okay even though and I'm just now starting out in this industry. The consequences were too great for me at that time. And like I said, to this day, they haven't hired any other black attorneys. And it's, it's crazy because they're a multi-billion dollar company. When that's with a B. Mm-hmm. Ooh, it's, uh, I think it when you are the token black person, um, especially if you're the token black woman, it's almost as if you're not working for yourself. It's almost like you're sacrificing for everybody else to come. And because I, I, I know I've been a token. We all I'm have. I'm sure Johnny's been a token too. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Lindsay, I'm sure you've been a token woman before. When we've been the token, it's like you don't want to mess this up because you at least got to get a couple more in the door. And if you screw this up and you ruffle too many feathers, then they're going to judge every other black woman that comes after like they judge you because they're like, oh, this person's going to cause trouble. We don't want anybody that's going to cause trouble. We're going to have to we want somebody that's going to stay in their place. So it, it is a struggle uh, to be, quote unquote, woke and employed at the same time. Extremely hard uh, to do uh, both of those things. So I, I get it. And I don't judge anybody from, you know, based on whether you stood up and you got an attorney and you made a complaint, which is great. Or whether you're like, you know what, I'm going to take one for the team and I'm, I'm going to hush because I feel like I'm the only person and I want to wait until I get some more people in the door. I don't think that anybody would judge either route. Um, I think that both routes are actually pretty admirable. Um, when you think about 
the reasoning behind the choices that we make um, and the environment, because I'm not in the legal environment. I don't know what that feels like. Um, I'm pretty sure that that is much more of a male-dominated field um, than medicine. And, and medicine was male-dominated, and it still is, but now there are now medical school classes are 51% female. So it's changing now. So all of our newer doctors are women, so, um, or half of them are women and, and not just men. Um, I know that that still is not the case for law. That's still very, very different. Um, so, yeah, it's I can see how that's uh, definitely a struggle. Circling back to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, her granddaughter, when she went to Harvard Law, it was the first class where there was 50-50 women, male students, and that was in the late 20-teens. I think around 2015, maybe 2014, but that was the first time in Harvard Law's history that it was 50-50. So, yeah, I mean, the legal field is still very heavily male-dominated. There are tons of female attorneys out there, um, but it's still men hold, men are the ones who are at the partner levels. Uh, men are the ones that are in judgeships and, and they're deans and they're the ones who still control everything. Um, so until we can change that at that top level, you know, it's, we're still going to have issues. So um, talk about what we've learned new this week. Okay, so I knew that the size of the Supreme Court is actually determined by Congress and not the Constitution. Why that's important. Should we vote, which we will, because everyone that is listening to this knows that they need to vote. But should we vote and vote correctly, the Democrats then take over the White House. It is possible for them to add justices and counterbalance the last two, and I'm going to say two because we know that this president is going to try to push through the confirmation of another justice before he leaves the office. So to counterbalance the last two confirmations, even if they do confirm another justice before this next election or even after during the lame duck period, we can still counterbalance that. So not all hope is lost. That's a great learn something new. So um, what I learned new this week, um, one, I have to retract a statement from last week. So last week I talked about how we all should register to vote because you can't just show up at the polls and just vote. Um, You need to register first. Well, that's not really true across the nation. That's true in the state of Texas. You have to register to vote. And it's true in the state of Louisiana and all the other states that I've lived in. But there are about 22 states that either have conditional registrations or same-day registrations. So there's a lot of states that you can have either same-day registration or a conditional registration. Now, I don't know what conditional means. I have no idea what that means. So for me, I'm still firm on that uh, you should register to vote before you go to the polls. But if you're in one of those 22 states and let's say you let uh, registration deadlines flip by, you can still go to the polls and register the same day. So that's one thing that I learned new this week. Um, The other thing is a couple of facts about black women. So according to the National Women's Law Center, they stated that almost all social injustice movements were 
and are carried on the backs of black women. Black women enroll in college at much higher rates than men, including white men. Black women-owned businesses grew by 600% from 1997 to 2017 compared to 39% of white women and 114% of women-owned businesses overall. According to Fortune magazine, black women voted at six percentage points above national average and 84% told their family members to vote. Only 21% of C-suite leaders are women and only 1% are black women. And that is according to leanin.org. Wow. In 2020, those are the statistics. Justice Ginsburg has put a lot of this on her back and paved the way for us. We just have to continue this work. Well, attorneys Sasha Fowler and Lindsay Canali, thank you guys. We really appreciate it. Um, we have learned so much. Um, continue to advocate for women and black women every day um, and keep up the good fight and keep up the good work. So we will leave you with our motivational moment. And the motivational moment is, um, of course, a quote by um, Justice Ginsburg. And it's one of my favorite quotes by her. And it's, my mother told me to be a lady. And for her, that meant to be your own person, be independent. And isn't it amazing that she had a mother that uh, was so forward thinking to ingrain that in her to be independent. And so I hope that we all live by her example. If you have a topic you want to hear discussed on the podcast, please email us at Oh, that's deep, bwc at gmail.com. And Jenny, tell them how they can follow us on social media. Um, well, you can find us on social media on Facebook at Oh, that's deep, bwc. Also on Instagram, Oh, that's deep, bwc. And we are now on Twitter, and it's O underscore bwc. And we are always, always on social media. Well, I should say, I'm always on social media, and then I drag Nicole in. So please interact <laughs> with us. We love to hear from I'm you. On, I'm used to on Facebook though. I'm, I stay on Facebook a lot. Nicole, Nicole <laughs> ma mans our Facebook page and I generally man our uh, IG page. But Everything we, else? We, no, Everything else? no, Nicole. You do our Pinterest. Oh, I forgot. We have a Pinterest. Oh, that's deep. Oh, yeah. Black women conversations on Pinterest. So yeah, we're on social media. It's not that hard to find us. Find us. Talk to us. We love talking to you all. Yes, we do. Well, until we meet again. Pray, work, slay. And show off your melanated excellence. Bye. Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. You can follow Oh That's Deep Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh That's Deep BWC. Oh That's Deep Black Women Conversations is a mean old lion media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.